<clears throat> so let's just move on to the second half here and I'll edit all that out. Okay. The one of the things that I think is important to note based on what you had just said is that based on the law of service, which we had already discussed, we're not just, uh, we are, let's say, attracting UFOs or these beings that are coming in because they're responding to the law of service in some way. The, the positive groups, the groups that are on the positive path are responding uh, to a cry just like uh, Ra said, where would we, the, the one being of the creation is like unto a body. Would we ignore a pain in the leg, a bruise on the skin? They say there is no ignoring a call. So if you're on the positive path and you're a group, a social memory complex, like a unified organism, and you're hearing a call, uh, it's, Ra didn't say, yeah, you hear it and then you can turn the other way. There is no ignoring a call, period, if you're on the positive group. If you're on the negative group, um, part of the law of one is the, the metaphysics is that if, if there is an opportunity for positive polarity work to be done um, in terms of balancing out, there has to be an equal and opposite invitation for the negative polarity at the level of the positive polarity being invited in the negative polarity also gets a chance, say, to respond. And so that is sort of everything's in balance in that way. And one of the byproducts of the law of service is that the, the aliens or UFOs are here not only as a response to our calling, um, the general confusion call for aid that we do as, as a group here, but also the byproduct is that through their service, and helping us, they also learn. They they learn and move forward in their path. So there's going to be ways that they're learning about themselves, um, learning about their own fourth or fifth or even sixth density conditions vis-a-vis -vis their engagement and interactions and even karmic entanglements with the creator and third density as us. So again, it's this that uh, the creator is learning all of this as ways to learn about itself and the up you know the gardener learns how to garden precisely through gardening and the we uh, the the plants <laughs> learn how to grow and and be vibrate you know uh, wonderful in the garden through being gardened and it's a mutual symbiotic relationship yeah yeah, absolutely. Like I was describing the process of making the choice as gaining enough momentum to kind of get out of our current consciousness level, sort of uh, get from third density to the next density. And essentially, as Ra describes it in the Law of One, the process after that point is the choice has been made. Uh, third density was necessary to make that choice because in order to even consider serving another or serving the self, you have to have this illusion that there is a separate other or there is a separate self. So the conditions of third density are necessary for that choice. We make that choice, we elevate out of the those conditions of the illusion, but from that point forward, uh, it is still a process of coming into relationship with the rest of the creation uh, and refining that choice that we have made. Um, for the service to others entity it is following that call of love and like we were talking about earlier in the discussion that love is kind of drawn out from us by what seems to be other beings and so the confederation as they call themselves uh, they basically can witness and hear the sorrow or the suffering and the calling of us on earth and it is kind of a particular specific suffering that they do respond to it's like a, a spiritual suffering a spiritual sorrow um, and you were kind of describing it earlier in our discussion it's kind of a very specific um, recognition of 
the separation of self and creation, the separation of self and other, that generates this sort of confusion and this sorrow that they are able to then respond to. And that dynamic is so holistic, as one were to put it, like describing, as they did, this as being just one being tending to a pain that it has on its leg or on its skin. It is the creator, essentially, um, as a whole body. One aspect of that body is tending to the other aspect of that body that is in pain, is what the confederation and the service to others aspect of the UFO phenomenon is doing by coming here and interacting with us. And the way that they do that, the way they respond to that call, particularly on Earth, there is a lot of consideration that goes into how they can interact with us. Like, there is a reason they don't just come here and give us magical healing machines. They don't just land and uh, start preaching on a podium about how all is one. Um, there's a reason they kind of have to hide these interactions through things like channeling, uh, through the more confusing aspects of like UFO phenomenon and how that influences people and stuff like that. But they are here responding to a call because that is what helps them to continue their journey on the creator. It is continuing to refine the love that was discovered in third density and come into such a close relationship to that love where eventually they become the creator once again through pursuing that on such a deep level yeah gorgeous <clears throat> and then i think uh people might be wondering who aren't familiar with the law of one is there ever a point where the negative polarity uh does it just keep on going forever or not so what what would you say to that question yeah, there, Ra was explicit about that aspect, and it is one part of the Law of One that I think is unique to the Law of One in terms of moral perspectives of uh, how we can interact with the universe uh, in a spiritual way. And that you were saying, you know, the idea of this polarity, service to others and service to self, it is present in other spiritual systems, but the Law of One, more than any other system I am aware of, talks about the validity of both paths being a path back to the unified creator uh, in very explicit terms. And so for those beings that do choose service to self, uh, there is a point in the evolution um, towards the ultimate beingness uh, back to the creator where they are confronted at a certain level of consciousness, what we would call sixth density, confronted so fully with the notion that all is one that the fundamental aspect of creation is unity is the one infinite creator that it kind of becomes impossible for them to continue upon the path of that choice but they were able to get as far as they were because of a refinement of an awareness of the universe a sort of um, ability to relate to the universe in a very willful and disciplined way that while it takes more work than uh, service to others to get to that point, they are able to kind of flip and uh, flip their polarity, you could say, or release their polarity and kind of accept the fact that all is one, um, everything is based on unity, and they release their pursuit of service to self. Yeah, and maybe one way to understand this from the words that we've used before is when a negative group gets to the point of early sixth density, which is the density of unity, according to the law of one, uh, they can no longer not recognize, recognize. They can no longer not recognize that their understanding of love of themselves as God is not exactly the same as the what they see, intuit, pick up, is found in the other, capital O, other. That is one love. And so, ironically, uh, we have a situation that for the negative being to continue on the negative path, the path they've chosen, uh, they have to actually adopt the one path, which is the path of unity. And so from then on, it becomes the path, it's just unity. But um, prior to those two streams coming back together, uh, the separation of positive and negative does serve an incredible function 
that uh, is work. You know, just like you have two ends, a positive and negative, go in on a battery to light a light bulb. Otherwise, it wouldn't be lit. <laughs> so it, it right. serves an incredible, important point. But indeed, the prodigal child, just as that archetype we see, <clears throat> or the hero's journey, rather, either one, is the prodigal child always comes home. That's just the nature of love. There's only unity here. Love wins in the end. Right. And I think a good word to utilize is potential in terms of in order for us to be able to polarize our consciousness in order to do work, like you're saying, um, or in, in other words, in, in my interpretation, in order for the creator to have a meaningful and significant experience, um, the potential for service to self must exist. And so uh, the potential, there has to be that dynamic, that tension, where if we pursue one path that is meaningful in that way, the other path must also exist and must also be available to pursue for entities who make that choice and pursue that path. But not to get too much into the sort of metaphysical weeds of how Ra describes the workings of the universe, when you get to that point of the path of unity, uh, what Ra describes as sixth density, they say that both polarities must release their polarity. So it's not just the negative has to give up their polarity. Supposedly the positive also has to give up their polarity. But the way that I look at it is that the positive has been seeking that from the beginning. They may not have fully realized it until they got to that point, but it's much easier for them to get to the sixth density, be confronted with the literal unity, the oneness of creation. And it, it's basically a natural realization of like, ah, oh, yeah, that's what we were trying to do all along. And the negative polarity is befuddled by that. They can't figure out how their polarity can persist within that kind of environment so it's more difficult for them to release their polarity but he's both get to that point and release their polarity uh, at that point of sick density ah beautiful and the streams like ghostbuster says merge <laughs> <laughs> right. the streams ah, cross. that's they do all right uh what have could you give us an update You've been following this a lot longer and in depth here than most people I know. Could you give us an update of what your perception is of, of disclosure of, of, that's really, really vibrant right now, I think we see, huh? Yeah, so you mean like the practical, what's happening, nuts and bolts on the ground? Yes, um, <clears throat> and in your pursuit of the disclosure... The study of that here the second time around because you said you originally studied it which led you to the law of one and now uh, maybe the past few months you've done deep dive you know you're you're going to be a reporter here I, i'm back at the main okay. office asking with the reporter what what do you see <laughs> yeah um i mean it could be a very long conversation so i'll do my best to touch on the key points uh and forgive me if anybody's listening and uh, feels like i left anything out but um you know Ever since uh, the government has gotten involved in the idea of UFOs, which was sometime around the 40s, uh, 1947 is the date a lot of people uh, point to, uh, there has been this dynamic between the government institution and various other institutions, uh, academia, government, science, etc., and these experiences that people have of UFOs. And this has been a dynamic that has gone on and has been confusing and difficult and generated a lot of catalyst for everybody involved but there has been sort of this new potential a new potentiator introduced um i'd say the it's kind of started in this round in 2017 for anybody who's not aware there was a, an article on the front page of the new york times talking about a secret pentagon program meant to study ufos and for decades at this point they had officially not been investigating ufos so this was sort of a big uh, revelation that the pentagon did have a program actively studying ufos and they there were also a few videos of military recordings of what are supposedly ufos uh, leaked at that same time and so this kind of invigorated the topic in the sense of 
the government's been denying for a long time that they have been actively studying it and that there is anything even to study with UFOs uh, that they now call UAPs, uh, which uh, can mean unidentified aerial phenomenon, and then that term has also been broadened to unidentified anomalous phenomenon to kind of continue broadening the term so it includes not just things in the air, but things in the sea, on land, or other types of phenomenon that don't have like that spatial aerial component. Um, that's what happened in 2017 is there was this revelation the government was actually interested in studying UFOs. Uh, then this year, uh, in June of 2023, there was a whistleblower who, he's not the first whistleblower to come forward and even talk about the things that he's talking about, but the reason that he made such a big splash is because he is using pathways within the government to bring to light supposed government programs, particularly programs intended to retrieve and back engineer crashed UFOs. Um, he basically went through a process of attempting to blow the whistle, receiving retribution, and then lodging complaints about both of those things with uh, Inspector General of the Intelligence Community, kind of like the primary law enforcement policeman that oversees the intelligence community in Washington, and got referred to Congress because that person, the Inspector General, found his claims um, urgent and credible. So he went to Congress and he also went public and is talking about these programs, talking about how they exist, wanting to blow the whistle on it, and he has some pretty insane credentials in terms of his service with intelligence agencies, with the military, and uh, he, him and a couple other naval aviators, they testified publicly in front of Congress in July after he went public and uh, gave interviews to a couple different news sources and basically went on record under oath talking about uh, these programs that supposedly what the government is doing uh, that he's aware of, I'm sure there's a lot more he's not aware of, but that the government has crash retrieval programs and back engineering programs to try to exploit technology of craft that have either crashed or, in his terms, um, have been directly given to the U.S. government. And he talks about other governments having their own similar programs, particularly China and Russia. He describes it as a Cold War unfolding of attempting to back engineer this technology for military exploitation, essentially. Um, so that is kind of like the big splash happening now. Uh, there's a lot more that's happened and there's more that will be happening. But that kind of, it captured a lot of the UFO community. Like that is the main topic in the UFO disclosure community right now is still uh, those whistleblowers and how things will unfold from that point. Like the whole disclosure movement, I think, will be kind of looked at as before David Grush is his name, before David Grush and after David Grush. Like, it was a pivotal moment. And what that meant for me, I, like, I, like I said, I had sort of left UFOs and disclosure behind. Not completely. I would keep up with it. I'd still watch a few documentaries when they came out, and I'd still be interested. But the fire that I had that was interested in UFOs that kind of led me to the law one to begin with was rekindled. And so I started getting back into the community, trying to see... Uh, what things were like, figure out what the good relevant sources are now. And I also started going back, trying to become familiar with the field of ufology, um, kind of from the beginning of how we understand it, going back to like even 1940s to see how were people investigating UFOs? How were they talking about UFOs? What were they able to discover? What was the interaction between these investigators and the institutions that are attempting to control this? Um, and it's been a fascinating exploration that has led me to um, understanding the UFO phenomenon in a much more human-oriented way and something I've witnessed that I think is a really positive shift in the dynamic of disclosure and the UFO phenomenon and people who study it is that people are starting to 
attempts to investigate it not from what I would say a technological or nuts and bolts perspective, but from a human perspective and the effects that these things have on humans and how it, the interactions with not just UFOs, but these institutions have on people's lives. And I think it's particularly highlighted in something that was just very recently uh, released on Netflix. Um, as of today's uh, October 5th, 2023, there's a new docuseries on Netflix that was really popular. It was on their top watch list for a while called Encounters that kind of, it's a very serious look at some very prominent UFO events. And it talks about sort of the practical things that happened, but it's a much more closer examination of how these things affect people and the influence that it's had on people's lives. And to me, that's signaling that we're kind of getting to the point of the whole UFO phenomenon, that if we continue down that path, um, it's integrating another field of this interdisciplinary approach that I think starts signaling to what you would call holistic disclosure or integral disclosure. Um, and it's been really interesting to me to watch this all unfold uh, in a, like a really exciting time, particularly because so long as things continue on the path they are, like these next few years are going to be pretty outrageous in terms of humanity being confronted with ideas, not just about UFOs, but how institutions have related to UFOs and people who are interested in them for decades now, which uh, will be difficult for a lot of people to grapple. <clears throat> You've set this up beautifully. Uh, you know, Austin, as you know, I've also been interested in this phenomenon um, all my life. And I had a UFO experience when I was in first grade. I've detailed that in other, uh, other places. But I wrote a, an article in 2020, February of 2020, and published it on my site, CosmicChrist.net. Uh, and it took me about two years to, to actually write. Um, because I was finding myself uh, ex ex getting out of the UFO community um, at that point seemed to me mostly, mostly characterized by um, a worldview, you could call it a, a hermeneutic of um, conspiracy of malicious intent. And I didn't recognize it, but what I, what I see is that most of the people that I was following, and even in some cases um, uh, working alongside, is that to view the cover-ups and to view uh, you know, the black ops and these kinds of things from this lens of uh, malicious intent, that there is a hidden power and force behind that that controls everything in third density and there's this fight between good and bad uh, positive polarity and negative polarity and so these disclosure communities uh, positioned themselves as being part of the you know the good the positive and that we have to just disclose in terms of knowledge uh, disclose all of what's going on so that the bad or evil polarity or the negative polarity from the perspective of third density, evil I say, um, <clears throat> but to, to disclose so that they you know, wouldn't have as much power. And the whole thing was couched from uh, what could be classified or understood as a spiritual warfare mentality, us against them. And I found it ultimately um, something I had to pull myself away from because I couldn't deny, and I didn't deny it from the moment I started, but it just increasingly became such a, uh, a, an energetic problem for me. I couldn't deny um, that what was being fought for by the people who saw themselves as, you know, agents of freedom was uh, what was being fought for was actually coming from a mindset that I believed was itself ensconced inside, entrapped inside the very energetics of bellicosity. Uh, you know, furthering, in fact, the bellicose nature of um, warfare. 
and, and, and scapegoating others and pointing the finger and othering other people. And, and so it took me a long time to, to kind of uh, individuate from that without throwing the baby of UFOs and this kind of more cosmic uh, esoteric thinking. I didn't want to throw that out, but certainly needed to w take a shower <laughs> to wash the dirty water off. And re-emerging in it now, um, alongside you, I really feel that if we look at it from the perspective of the hermeneutic of wholeness coming in, um, that what was indeed hidden, say, in black ops, that is now being disclosed. And remember what we said earlier, that if it's true, in one field, it needs to be true in another field. I think the perennial tradition there would say what is, uh, what is above is below, and what is true below is true above, you know, that kind of thing. So when I sit in my counselor chair and work with clients, one of my great honor duties, it's truly a joy because it is my vocation, is to help people take a dive into their unconscious to find out how are what what filters are operating there what what are some things in the unconscious way down below that we may not be aware of but have yet influenced our uh, perspective on how to deal with just everyday catalyst because the unconscious absolutely informs the conscious mind of how it's going to make choices on how to receive and react to any given stimulus, any given conscious. So my job as a counselor is to help people move towards in integration or an inner integrity, you know, and you do that not at least in the, in the counseling form. It, I, I hope it's, it's wise. You don't do it from the perspective of finding something that was previously hidden about yourself and then, uh, you know, hating on it and pointing the finger and scapegoating and, uh, you know, kill the ego or kill the ego's needs and squash it out and uh, drive it out. Well, conventional counseling wisdom says uh, whatever you resist in that way actually persists. It, it just gets um, suppressed more and then resurfaces in a more disguised way and ever more potent. Uh, the way you do it actually in counseling and good spiritual direction as well is that you encounter with, with, a, with a sense of compassion and curiosity um, those parts of us that we haven't seen, we allow them to come up we allow them, we look at them from almost a third-party witness with compassionate witnessing stance, a mindfulness that you choose. And then you go through a process of accepting that, those hidden parts that maybe have caused problems all our lives, but we're not going to demonize them. We're going to look at them and accept them, uh, moving still further to some degree of forgiveness. Um, not, not forgiveness in the sense of everything is okay, but forgiveness in the sense of understanding it from a three, like a 360 degree view, complex, you know, mature view of something inside us. How did that get here? Kind of question. And then moving from forgiveness to balance, being able to set up boundaries where we need to and balance things and appreciating that our own inner evolution is one of constant um, expansion of consciousness, you know, uh, moving outward, outward, and expanding, seeing more fully and holistically ourselves and, and other people. And then finally moving into this area where we're opening ourselves up to more love. We intentionally choose, well, let's see ourselves from more and more love. You have to choose that. And, and I want to see the world from more and more unity of consciousness. So really psychotherapy is really a spiritual uh, awakening, to be honest. And I don't see any difference 
maybe I'm wrong, and I, I really help, hope you correct me if, if you see a difference. I really don't see a difference from that perspective than how we can understand the UFO disclosure phenomena as our um, collective consciousness being a person, an entity, an organism made up of cells, which are us, coming to some degree of integrity we're we're looking inside the previously hidden parts of us allowing them to come forth but how we deal with them as they're coming forth that is the pivotal place are we going to move in a place of love and wisdom and acceptance and moving to forgiveness and setting boundaries when necessary or are we going to move it and see what comes up and embrace it from the position of our normal mode, collective mode, of bellicosity and war, even in the name of freedom. If it's spiritual warfare we're after, and that's our mode to engage with the disclosure, then uh, we actually further entrap ourselves in bellicosity and even into more lukewarm uh, energetics. So I'm going to leave that there and ask you to respond uh, to what your thoughts are. I'm very interested. That was, that, there is a lot to respond to in everything you just said. Um, yeah, I would love to dig into everything you just said a bit more. I think I'd like to start with adding some nuance that I know that you feel, but adding a little bit of nuance to what you were talking about at the very beginning. And that is um, the idea of approaching disclosure uh, with the mindset of assuming malicious intent. And I don't want people to think that either of us are naive and that there is no malicious intent in anybody involved in the cover-up right. or whatever is hidden. Uh, that is not what you were saying, I'm sure, and that is not what we believe. And that's not the point of anything that you were just saying. Yes. Um, it is it's true. Like, it's verifiably true that there is at least some malicious intent involved in the covering but i think the really important aspect of that part of what you were saying is that to carry that mindset of bellicosity that's kind of trapped within these um you know you, we would understand it as these lower energetic cycles uh, vicious cycles where people are trapped in a warfare mentality it shuts down the ability to look at things from a nuanced perspective and to be open to approaching things in a holistic way. And so while it's true there might be some malicious intent, uh, the part that gets shut down is the idea of where is that malicious intent, how did it manifest, but particularly that sort of warfare mindset that you're talking about taken to its extreme, and I think it's the extreme that you experienced, is this assumption that there is one body of individuals controlling everything, and that those people are the enemy, and everything that happens, whether it's within the UFO phenomenon, or take it even further, and you talk about the Illuminati that controls like literally every piece of media. The cabal, the cabal, baby. The, the cabal. <laughs> taken to its extreme that warfare mentality that sees a cabal of mm. a unified yeah. body of individuals controlling every little single aspect and i still see this very much alive in smaller portions in the disclosure movement that isn't you know the movements that i think you were a part of those still exist the, the mm. ones that particularly focus on the spiritual warfare but even in the more standard ufo communities the mm. ones that you might just find on a regular reddit like the yeah. slash ufo subreddit that mentality still exists i see people constantly questioning like um, an ad that they might have seen on the internet and how it is attempting to control them uh and their interest in ufos and they see this mechanism of this uh, sort of a godlike entity manipulating every little aspect of everything and that it is their job to then fight and bring to justice the injustices that have unfolded on the parts of these individuals. And I think the 
truth that is being obscured by that mentality is whatever is happening, if anybody could even get to the bottom of it, is far more complex and far more nuanced than that very simple ability to define an enemy and then you know your target and your job is to attack. Um, I think that's kind of the mentality that you were talking about getting trapped in bellicosity and that manifests within the disclosure movement particularly. And another aspect of what you were saying that I think um, deserves some nuance and is related to is near the end you were talking about the UFO phenomenon and how it unfolds for us, not just it's on its own, like what we see when we see UFOs or what people see when they see UFOs, but then every way that gets related to by people and by institutions is a manifestation of our collective consciousness attempting to message something. Somebody might hear that and think, oh, they don't think UFOs are necessarily real. Or they might say they don't think that there are actual other entities that are behind these UFOs, other intelligences that are behind these UFOs. I don't think that's what you're saying either. I think that there is a dynamic unfolding here that speaks to an intelligence sort of beyond all of that. That there is a way that we relate as intelligent agents of creation and ultimately as the creator, the way that we relate to things that calls them out from other living entities and that causes us to see them in certain ways. And all of that signals to what we were talking about is the entire point of our experience in third density is to experience catalyst that reveals more of ourselves to ourselves and that these things are signaling two aspects of our unconscious need that is attempting to affirm that force to towards wholeness towards uh, the holistic view of the universe and so Something that I just thought of as you were talking about that I think is a really direct, almost too much on the nose aspect of the phenomenon and how that happens is that there, if we look at how the UFO phenomenon is related to on an institutional level, which is a big focus of how people relate to the phenomenon itself, institutions tend to serve as a filter for how people relate to it. It is almost always framed from the perspective of national defense, military defense, yep. warfare, weaponizing it. There it is. And, you know, that was the focus of the congressional hearings was not necessarily, you know, there were some elements of curiosity and wonder about what could this be. But for the most part, it was almost all geared towards how is this a threat? How, why should we take this seriously as violence? Like, how should we orient to this from an attitude of bellicosity? And the fact that that is that event, particularly the congressional hearing for the disclosure movement, was almost like a religious event. Like, it was very impactful and meaningful. And the fact that that was what was alive in that event, I is not a coincidence that that is how it manifested for the community that I think tends to hold that mentality that you're talking about the mm -hmm. bellicose approach to discovering the truth about UFOs uh, assume there are enemies assume that there's a battle to be fought and we have to bring people to justice and again it's not that we're not saying there's been injustices because mm -hmm. there have been injustices like very grievous injustices within this but the attitude that we approach this from will define how it manifests to us, whether it's the actual UFOs themselves or how our institutions sort of convey the phenomenon to us. Mm, mm, mm. I, one, one of the reasons why I love talking to you is you will take what I say and you're not only capable of really hearing and listening well, but then you you zero in on some things, nuance them, that uh, stuff that I'd be like, oh my God, I wish I would have said that. Well, Austin is there to <laughs> nuance it in vivo. So thank you. That's just gorgeous. In my office here, I actually have gifts that I always give my clients. Um, 
I have a big box of little bitty mirrors that I, uh, I have. And sometimes with clients, particularly if I have a good relationship with them, but if they're not able to see how they themselves, and, you know, and I'm going to include myself in this. I mean, how can we not uh, see ourselves as much of the problem? That much of the problem that we might see in interrelating with others um, is actually a product of our own incapability, really, to see how our biases exist, uh, which may have been important when we were growing up to survive, but now uh, may not be so appropriate at an older age. Anyways, I give people these mirrors as almost a a shock. They always laugh. Um, And they hold them up and I say, yeah, start there, baby. (laughs) (laughs) What I'm hearing you say then, uh, as above, so below, as below, so above, is the UFO phenomena is not only um, beings, you know, these entities and so on and so forth, and the social memory complexes uh, or unified organisms of higher densities where um, they have gone through uh, a collective, almost unification, spiritual unification process to emerge with one heart, one mind, because that happens in fourth density, say. Uh, Not only are the UFO phenomena um, containing this perhaps truth, but also the phenomena can only connect with us and engage with us as humans insofar as it can be a mirror for us, mirroring, acting for us as an external, if you will, mirror that mirrors our internal reality. And to the degree that we only engage with that phenomena as an external force, which I'm not going to, you know, scapegoat that. That's, that's nature. Uh, that It's understandable because that's all we've ever done is to look at something in terms of threat. I mean, you know, it has its place in terms of survival. I get it. But if that's all we're going to do, uh, then we'll actually once again <laughs> miss the meta narrative the meta message is uh, see yourself in this seemingly external catalyst for the mirror that it is to look inside and I think Ra intuits this or maybe infers this when Ra says the law of one that um, UFOs particularly from the confederation when they allow themselves to be seen by um, particular third density humans or entities that they are the purpose is is to inspire awe and wonder and mystery and in some cases you know this deep unconscious contact um, that can take place even in the astral realm vis-a-vis dreams and and time lapses and whatnot uh, you can have the a person in third density being awakened by the catalyst of awe and wonder through an encounter with a UFO. And then that third density entity, as you were talking about in the Netflix show Encounters, actually uh, pivots in their trajectory and moves towards um, understanding acceptance, forgiveness, balance, and then s- surrendering to the very progression of love itself. Uh, otherwise, but then you also have institutions and and people, individuals who would view the phenomena from denial. So, isn't that common in in counseling? You know, people who are in denial. How how much am I in denial of my own stuckness? I just can't see. So that might be an aspect. Uh, those who refuse to see this as a phenomena, um, or or have, are really sure, say of what they think it is, that's a kind of denial that mirrors the the micro that we might see in counseling. But then you also, as you say, have people and institutions particularly who will view it and hold it as an outer force uh, that we have to be wary of. And the last thing I'm gonna say before I ask for your thoughts on this is in the counseling paradigm, 
what what we try to do, especially in social work, because I'm a clinical social worker and I chose that field to enter into counseling for a for a reason, because the social worker is trained to view a person uh, within their environment, um, and also trained not to see immediately what they are manifesting as problems. In other words, don't diagnose them and then just try to fix the problem, but rather situate whatever is problematic in their life as something that they uh, are utilizing or engaging with that has a root seed uh, place in their life that at one point might have been useful, you know? So if I grew up in a very violent home where my one way to understand how to survive as you know, a young kid would be to hide, to run and hide, uh, or even to fight, well, that would have been appropriate at that point. But if I continue that till I'm married and then all of these problems and so on and so forth, or maybe I, I can't learn how to trust a partner and so I don't enter into life-giving partnerships um, then it becomes dysfunctional, but its original function was important. And, and so what I want to suggest here is that we got to start where we are. If, we, if you and I were to lament over the fact that we're, that human race is going to uh, adopt disclosure here, once again from the position of uh, bellicosity and then just say oh we got to have an alternative and we got to you know cause this alternative i think that would still be part of the problem because what i want to say is it's not going to happen any other way it's going to disclosure is going to emerge first and foremost from what we've always done so we have to if the human collective is a client and we're the counselor, we have to look at the client and meet them where they're at, not where we wish they would be. Where are we at? And what I hope is, is that the six people in the world that hear our podcast, <laughs> maybe seven, um, what I hope happens is that uh, this plays a little part in inviting the larger dialogue of of an ethos of yes and both and um, maybe we can see it as a threat sure but does it have to be a physical threat where we're going to be annihilated or is the threat more seen situated of uh, inviting us into the unknown or even deeper into our collective conscious because that's threatening you know that's why a lot of people don't go to counseling because they and they're scared and i get it so maybe it could be understood and received as yeah there's a reason why threat and, and of course uh the red ray as we know the the root chakra is always going to receive a catalyst and ask the question am i physically going to survive this so you might say that the collective human uh, organism, the, the Akashic record or the, the atom, um, to use uh, Judeo-Christian understanding, the atom, the, the one human, is receiving this catalyst from the perspective of the red ray. Am I going to survive this? And then the second ray, the orange ray, is, and who am I? in this catalyst. Uh, am I going to survive this catalyst and then you're over there and do I need to fight you? You know, wh what's my identity now in this new catalyst situation? So we're going to have to go through the process of um, all, all of the different energy centers on a macro level and hopefully we have enough uh, entree of other disciplines such as good spirituality, good psychology, i.e. Ken Wilber, the stuff that the meta, the meta modern conversations that are going on, um, lots of different, uh, even Christian uh, talking, you know, people are now dialoguing about how to understand 
reality from this cosmic Christ perspective that is not at all um, uh, only about uh, something that happened 2,000 years ago, but something that is uh, anointing that word Christ, anointing that everything is sacred and blessed and all a part of God's body. You know, so all of this stuff is happening outside of the disclosure movement. And I might be willing to say that all of it actually can be now included inside the disclosure movement. So I'll, I'll finish by saying this, Austin, is what if we were to define this disclosure movement is not just disclosing UFOs and disclosing all the black ops and the secret machinations that are going on behind the scenes. Um, what if we were to describe what if we were to describe the disclosure movement as disclosing with curiosity and compassion and assertiveness? We're standing here disclosing that wholeness is breaking in, that we are disclosing the very nature of wholeness as it breaks in, and that we are in and located in the early stages the early processing, spiritual, psychological processing of that wholeness as it breaks in on a macro scale. What are your thoughts on any of those things? <laughs> any of those things. Uh, again, a lot of really great thoughts to reflect on. I really appreciate the way that you frame things. Um, I think, again, there's a, a more I'd like to reflect on in terms of how you described you know these interactions not just with ufos or awareness of ufos but any kind of interaction in our life that might seem confusing or negative there's an ultimately positive or holistic end point that we're talking about and it is not in denial of an idea that there are intentions behind at least some of the ufo activity uh, that we would define pretty blatantly as malicious or uh, negative. So I think this is important to touch on because we had talked about the polarity, the choice of third density, and how that defines the path after that point, and then the beings that are behind the UFO phenomenon um, from this viewpoint would be along one of those two lines, and that includes the service to self or negatively oriented uh, entities and those entities through their own mechanisms have a desire to have an influence on our world as much as the positive entities and so the viewpoint that you're talking about doesn't deny that there are very real beings that are attempting to influence us in a negative way and i think that is important because a lot of the ufology that has unfolded um, a lot of the experiences both with ufos themselves and with the institutions that attempted to control these narratives uh, have not necessarily been reconciled into positivity uh, there's been a lot of negative impact and positive impact but it is important to know that the ongoing negative impact of not just interactions with these entities but with you know, the fallout of these entities. Um, it exists. But the whole point, I think, of what you are saying and what this conversation is about is despite the fact there might be an intention behind that, there is still a window into our soul to be seen from that perspective. And that is our unconscious orientation defines and allows for those things to happen in certain ways, particularly with the UFO phenomenon. So I'll separate the things that happen on Earth between people and institutions from the UFO phenomenon particularly, because the UFO phenomenon, in my view, uses that language of the unconscious a lot more than what we see manifest as reality uh, around us. and. Anybody who's familiar in a significant way with the study of ufology and disclosure, you'd be familiar with uh, an author named Jacques Vallée, who a lot of people in the field consider him the godfather of ufology, and he is still, he's still active, he's still alive, he's still widely respected, um, he's referenced a lot, and his study of UFOs wasn't just about the events 
of the UFOs themselves, but correlating those events to things like folklore, particularly his most primary work that he wrote in the 60s. It's called Passport to Magonia, and he analyzes aspects of folklore, comparing it to UFO experiences of modern times. And his, uh, he hasn't reached a conclusion necessarily, but he has a theory that I think would be considered his conclusion, is that the UFOs are not necessarily non-human intelligence beings from another planet coming here in spaceships, but that they are a manifestation of what he calls a control system. And I think a better word for that from his point of view might be an influence system. But his idea, basically, is that the way the phenomenon manifests itself is in many ways symbolic. Even in the most practical ways, if a UFO crashes the way that it crashes, and then the fallout of that crash seems to manifest in a way that is intended to influence humanity in a specific way. I think that that it's a, an idea that's present in the disclosure movement, but it loses a lot of nuance because of the bellicose attitude, the warfare mentality that views this as some sort of singular intelligence attempting to influence and manipulate humanity. Whereas I think the way that we are talking about it is you would turn that around and not only say there's not just a singular intelligence, there are multiple intelligences um, that have their own motivations and their own ideas of how to influence, whether in service or in attempt to control. And the way that they manifest and attempt to do that relies necessarily on our unconscious biases, on our own makeup, and their ability to manifest themselves to us is dependent upon how we are prepared to be manifested to, essentially. And so I think that nuance could get lost in a lot of the modern disclosure movement, but it's what I see and what you're talking about. And the idea of these things being, you use the word functional, that like these aren't necessarily things that are intended to, well, they might be intended to manipulate us. Like, I believe that is true, that there's been a lot of manipulation by particularly the negative uh, non-human intelligence, the negative aliens, uh, attempting to influence us and manipulate us in certain ways. But in the end, the idea is that it's functional. It is still a window mm -hmm. into how we can be manipulated. And by examining that from a holistic point of view, opening up to the idea that uh, it is not just justice that we need, it is uh, healing and uh, need to heal before we go out and try to reconcile whatever it is that did this to us. Um, we come to the viewpoint that what happened uh, opened up uh, a viewpoint for us to examine our unconscious biases and attempt to understand that. And if we approach the process personally and collectively from that viewpoint, then there is an influence happening to us that we are calling forth from within us, particularly from the UFO phenomenon, then I think that will lead to more and more ability for it to open up its interaction with us and particularly the positive entities to be able to make themselves present and make themselves known and um, continue allowing an interaction in more positive ways with us if we can discover how the negative interactions are pointing to things within us, particularly things like the bellicose attitude and where that bellicose attitude comes from, which is you know, typically from a standpoint of being wounded or traumatized, mm -hmm. whether ourselves or generational. Yeah, yeah, um, brilliant always. And I would also say, I wonder what your thoughts here is, you talked about that it's not just one intelligence, i.e. the cabal that is causing, you know, behind everything, causing all the problems, but that there's multiple intelligences, uh, say external intelligences, i.e. positive ET groups, negative ET groups that are um, answering the call, say, from third density. However, they're only able to connect to us through a larger, more transcendent set of cosmic laws, such as um, karma and uh, other, other very complex uh, cosmic laws that are often mentioned in the law of one. We obviously don't want to go through that right now, but 
it, it is a way is to be a giant mirror for us to look. Yes. But I'm wondering, too, if we could see that behind all of the different intelligences that are going, uh, that are involved in the UFO phenomenon, that there are indeed a series of almost Russian nesting dolls of intelligences, transcendent uh, beingness, you could say gods, you know, layers of gods, uh, all of which are trying to experience themselves responding to the cosmic impulse of the one infinite creator to experience itself as being the mind or intelligence behind the all of the the different play um, upon the theater of third density here on earth in other words uh, the very desi- the very fact that all of this stuff is happening is a part of a larger mind or a larger intelligence uh, singular uh, of God or the Creator um, knowing itself through the Creator's own becoming, own evolution. And then as we had mentioned here in this talk that there are going to be different parts of this one infinite Creator that will play roles. You know, we might have a part that's more advanced and they're going to uh, come to the aid of the, or respond to the call of the less developed layer of the one infinite creator. Not different in ontology, the beingness is the same, but the, uh, the, the level of gnosis of being the one infinite creator is what, di- what differs. Therefore, um, all the different parts of the one infinite creator that are interacting dynamically with each other is uh, the result of the of one original cognition, just to tie it back to the very beginning. Would would you say that that is true? I think so. Particularly the end, we're uh, tying it back to the one original thought, the one original cognition. Um, but just to riff a bit off of what you were saying, the Russian nested dolls of mm-hmm. intelligence that kind of might have its uh, hands in how things unfold here. I do. Uh, when I read the law of one particularly, since that's what we're basing a lot of mm-hmm. uh, this on, I don't necessarily see in the law of one an explicit acknowledgement of that, but it is something that I have, I think, intuitively felt in my own spiritual journey um, that, you know, instead of just the layers of us and then uh, the other selves uh, manifesting catalyst for us and then the creator uh, being the largest being kind of making this all unfold that there are other intermediaries so essentially if i understand you correctly we can view the positive and negative uh, non-earth forces of what Ra describes as the confederation and the orion group um, can view them as distinct entities with distinct motivations interacting in ways that uh, suit their own journeys and are also in responding to something within us but then there is something uh another layer that incorporates or includes both of them and that there's sort of i guess you could say a puppet hand uh, allowing this to unfold that there's an intelligence behind how their motivations might relate to us in a particular way that allows for a particular meaningful experience for the creator yeah, for both the the uh, third density entity, us, as well as the aliens. Yes, yeah, all of them. But there is, uh, you know, when we talk about them being of a higher consciousness, they still rely on us for their own, you know, evolution of yes. consciousness because it is uh, us and our calling that moves them to respond, essentially. That's correct. And uh, the negative entities don't necessarily respond to the same calling, but there is an energy dynamic within us that allows them and potentiates their movement and allows them to further their path. And so there, it seems necessarily that particularly with the way that things unfold uh, and looking at things with in hindsight, um, that there is some other dynamic here. And I think it's related to what you were talking about, the greater cosmic laws. There are sort of barriers in place that prevent explicit types of interactions 
both on a personal level and seemingly on a built-in level in the universe. Yeah, the structure and, uh, of consciousness as it unfolds. There's structures, these laws. Yes, yes, structures, and the structures have sort of barriers. Mm -hmm. And so uh, the intelligence that might either enforce or manifest or somehow be living within those barriers, I think, is kind of what you're talking about. Okay, brilliant. My gosh, it's such a joy to talk to you. Um, but let's wrap up here, and I want to ask you, if is there some way that you would like to, uh, maybe a last word or a summary or, or something new that you wish to um, give as a gift to the rest of us? Anything there regarding the UFO phenomenon? Um. <laughs> I will first just a huge bit of gratitude for you and for uh, inviting me to talk on this and um, really had a great time. And I think what is coming up for me with that invitation is um, to hold on to the aspect of UFOs and the phenomenon of all of this that is uh, fun, that brings you to life in terms of the mystery and the, the strangeness of it and just the amazing aspect of what we are experiencing and there's very frustrating aspects too like mm -hmm. I personally get frustrated at the way that the government and the military and all of these institutions handle it and then that frustration invites me back to look at like what um, it brings out for me and how I can reflect on that but I think the lodestar, the guiding point that I want to hold on to is just how um, marvelous and joyful it really is to be involved in something like this and to witness something like this and to watch humanity attempt to grapple with it like it's one of the strangest and craziest things particularly if it continues to unfold on the path that it is the next few years are just like watching humanity attempt to grapple with this is going to be difficult uh kind of scary but there's this element of mystery um that i think should be defining in how we approach it mm, mm, mm. And the only thing I could possibly say to, as a footnote to what you just said was uh, to invite all of us to actually develop the base, first principle, the baseline value of courage. Courage coming from the Latin word heart. Um, to have the courage to engage with the UFO phenomena, perhaps from a different perspective than we're normally used to. So if we are uh, usually engaging it or thinking of it in a certain way, could we stoke the fire, the ember of courage inside us to see the whole thing from precisely what you said, from the lens of wholeness breaking in uh, that results in the affective experience of delight and joy and glory and love. You know, to really yeah. be able to just feel that, not just as a concept, but as a lived gnosis. Absolutely. Wonderful. And I think if we can allow ourselves to, you know, go off in all sorts of directions as we relate to it, but so long as we use that point to come back to, I think that will get us where we need to go. Well, brother, thank you so much. And um, we will be in contact as we always are. You're always so good just to receive my quick calls i always feel honored that you pick up <laughs> yeah i always when i see your name pop up on my phone i'm always happy and glad to have a conversation because i know it's going to be fun and interesting <laughs> amen brother we'll talk to you soon all right bye, all right. bye.